The show must go on mentality is not just in dance, it's in marketing, it's in lawyers, it's in construction. With that mentality of the show must go on, that's going to cause a lot of stress and probably deplete the creativity. The show will go on or not with or without you. Hello and welcome to Dance Bands. I'm your host and who am I? Human first, artist second, dancer third. And today I'm here with Linda Gamblin. Linda trained at the Royal Ballet School in London and performed as a soloist and principal for the Australian Ballet, the Royal Ballet, the National Ballet of Portugal and Sydney Dance Company. She has performed principal roles in Romeo and Juliet, The Nutcracker and Swan Lake, but she is now the head of training at Sydney Dance Company. Linda developed the Sydney Dance Company's pre-professional year, which focuses on contemporary dance, incorporating mindfulness, self-care and resilience. Please welcome... Linda Gamblin. Hello. Okay, so these are the three big questions. Linda, what do you reckon? It's all good. It's all good? Cool. I reckon it'll be fine. We've got nothing to worry about. I agree. Are you afraid of dying? Uh, not anymore. Cool. <laughs> I might get you to extend on that answer later. And thirdly, have you ever shat yourself? Uh, I reckon probably, you know, after a tummy bug, surely. Yeah, nice. Cool. <laughs> All right. Those are the three big questions. Now, yeah, nah. <laughs> Have you ever stolen something? Yeah. Can you speak another language? Nah. Can you play a musical instrument? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What can you play? Uh, the egg shaker. Nice. Can you sing? <laughs> Badly, yes. Do you have a big secret? Uh, n- no. Ballet or jazz? Ballet. Nice. Wiggles or high five? Wiggles. Big show or intimate informal showing? Informal showing. Nice. Ooh, left turn or left kick? Left turn. Yeah or nah? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. That's yeah, nah. <laughs> and that's the end of the segment. So now we can get started. So um, this is Linda... And she was the director of my full-time course. This is really exciting for me because on my podcast, we talk about full-time all the time. Oh, we never stop. Great. Yes. And a lot of it is critical talk about full-time. Okay. But my course, I loved my course. <laughs> and Linda is honestly one of the most inspiring people I've ever met. Everyone that comes into contact with Linda (laughs) will remember her forever, whether that is as a hero or something else in their lives. But everyone knows Linda. It's not just a full-time course. It's like the spirit of Linda. So (laughs) I can't wait to talk about your philosophy. But maybe we can start with a bit of your life story because I think that would set it up (laughs) for people to understand how you got here so as short or long as you want it we could also just do a long biography of you and then interject it with your philosophy however you all right well firstly thanks that was a fun year and um yeah i love working with you and i think you're the most inspiring woman i've ever met oh stop it linda thank you (laughs) (laughs) so i grew up in Mackay. Yeah, and you know, when when you asked me the question ballet or jazz, I love ballet, I love classical music, but I loved jazz first. Yeah? Jazz and tap. 
with Betty Meskel and she was very musical theatre. So I did want to be a musical theatre dancer. Uh, You know, I grew up in a household of beautiful people, but yeah, all families have their emotional stuff and I feel that's kind of what kept me in dance is just the love of it and the the need to get away from any sort of... um, pain I was feeling growing Mm. up as a a kid which is an interesting thing to escape to because there's a lot of pain in I know I do talk about it coaching young people it's needing to find a fresh healthy relationship with dance if you're going to do it as a career Mm. because it's not usually why you're doing it when you're three or four you're not doing it to have a career at three or four or six or seven maybe Mm. the teachers are wanting you to have a career it's terrible to say, but, you know, when your dad says, oh, your teacher loved you right from the day one. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> I'd rather just not have been pretty and tiny and right. I'd rather have just been Does normal. that make it feel less like it's your achievement as well? I don't know. I haven't worked that. I think that's a really deep mm. issue as a dancer and a coach to understand why it's so annoying or so hard to get through when it's you're always the cute pretty one that's going to be the beautiful dancer and being pushed to make it and Mm. then you you make it and you don't know who's pushed you to make it It was yourself where where does the willpower come from is it is it you or is it your teachers or it's pleasing your family or is it handy so yeah so where did you go and what age I went to my parents separated and my dad ended up in Brisbane and then I had the opportunity to audition for the Australian Youth Ballet Company and I was mm-hmm. able to travel to Brisbane, stay with my dad and join the Australian Youth Ballet Company, which was a great initiative of Inara Swelby and we used to work all day on a Sunday, um, travel Australia. Cool. They what age the world. were you for that? About 12 or 13. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Did you go to Aussie Ballet? No, I didn't really want to go. I didn't think I was good enough to go... Th- to the Aussie Ballet. And so you went to Royal instead. <laughs> well, I was a, probably a little naive. I just went Europe because there's so many companies and if I don't get into the, the Royal Ballet Company, at least I can go to Europe and dance. You know, there's a lot of competition. A lot of my friends went to the Australian Ballet. I just thought they were so much better than me and I just went, I'll send in my pics and I've still got the pictures uh, to audition for the Royal Ballet School. Wow. I didn't, they weren't that good. <laughs> what age were you? I guess 15. You just got in to the school? I just got in. The Royal Ballet School is the best school in the world. I, alongside, I would say, like, what's the Bolshoi and, like, the <laughs> Paris Opera Ballet. Just so you know for the listeners out there so they have something to refer to. Royal Ballet School is it's the one to get into. Yeah, yeah. and I just... I don't know. I think they just love the Australian spirit. So I could turn, I could mm. jump... Um, Not that I don't think they would have seen that in the photos and I didn't send any videos, but, you know, they were quite cute and I was pretty and um, I don't know. I just got in. I don't know how. You wouldn't – it doesn't happen these days. So I was very lucky. And when I got there, you had to audition to see which class you got into and I was just so excited and spinning and jumping and I got into the, you know – the yellow ribbon class, which was the <laughs> the class, the best. The best. <laughs> awesome. And um, had a great time. Wow. Lots of ambulances driving by today. How many years were you there? And I was there for two years. It's a three-year course and I went from the yellow ribbon class into the graduate class in the second year. 
and okay. yeah started working with the company so you jumped ahead and you skipped a year yeah wow. um i was working with the company as a student but doing you know quite a lot even right amazing um quarter ballet and even semi soloist work you know when they needed mm. a duo work and someone had to to jump in there i yeah. would jump in but i didn't get into the company at the end you know when you just think ah. automatically i'll just get into the company my girlfriends did and okay. I didn't and I went and had the interview and they gave me a scholarship to stay another year oh. to work on my turnout. Wow, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And I was a little okay. sad and I was walking out crying and um, I ran into a very handsome, tall Portuguese director. He said, would you like to come and work for my company? Ooh, and I went to Portugal, National Ballet of Portugal. Wow, cool. Yeah. Great. And That's had, fun. That was so much fun. Was it in Best, Lisbon? It was in Lisbon. Nice. Yep. St. Carlos Theatre. And then I thought I'd join a real company. I wanted to go back to London. I wanted to audition London or English National Ballet. And I was doing principal roles in Portugal and thought I'd like to start at the bottom in the quarter ballet in a big company. So wow. I auditioned for Munich and got in. But um, in that, I sort of just did a little tour audition and then I also flew to Australia to audition for the Australian Ballet just for the weekend nearly basically yeah and which one did you go with I went with the Australian Ballet great yes amazing and how long did you spend there uh seven years (gasps) whoa okay I didn't know this about you yeah Oh, my God. Okay, so that was good. That was great. So I got into the Australian Ballet. Mayna often talks about it because I did this. There were some photos in magazines of um, me doing jetés and things and she just loved the spirit. So I went and joined the Australian Ballet and got mm-hmm. a lot of great roles. But I remember by the, by the end of leaving the Australian Ballet, I couldn't turn and jump. Huh, mm. Okay. So that's right. a really big turning in my mindset. And that was all I had to really look at why I couldn't turn and jump after seven years in the Australian Ballet. Right. And why couldn't you turn and jump? Well, I was born with 43 and a half degree turnout. <laughs> <laughs> Jess knows this story, surely. <laughs> yeah. I talk about a happy fifth rather than a super fifth. Yeah. And that's because, you know, when you're born with something, you can feel really mentally disturbed by the fact you can't achieve something that someone else says you can achieve. Hmm. If you're really seriously looking into your level of turnout, yes, you can improve the strength, you can probably uh, improve the flexibility, but I really know through trial and error that they're telling you to turn out from the tops of your legs. But if you turn out too much from the bottoms of your legs, your thighs are going to turn in. Mm, Heels are going to come off. Stress fractures are going to come. So I had six stress fractures. Ah, they're the worst. In one foot, couple in the other. Oh, my God. Broke on stage. (gasps) Whoa. Yeah. I have only ever had one stress fracture and I tried to perform that night in a point shoot and I could I physically had to stop well I didn't have any pain oh (laughs) but that's wow not I that was because of my mental health I had no pain so I was unable to recognize it I totally relate I have a lot of I'm working on this with myself at the moment realizing how much chronic pain I'm actually in Mm. that is all 
pushed into my subconscious right yeah and you can have both you can have you can feel too much pain and you can feel not enough pain and both Mm. are a mental health issue Mm. so I wasn't feeling the pain of my feet going to break in the mornings I couldn't walk but I'd know by the time I got to class it had warmed up and I'd be fine amazing wow and didn't recognize that to be a bad (laughs) thing until in the middle of the third act Capella solo (laughs) it broke oh wow and even then it didn't wasn't painful yeah it was loud (gasps) I can remember hearing it and the orchestra went really quickly to finish the menage of the solo and as soon as I finished I could just hear the loud roar of the orchestra of the of, of the audience because it was fine they didn't know and yeah. then I stumbled off stage and I couldn't walk for nine months after that wow mm. oh my god so then one of the girlfriends had to jump on and finish it oh <laughs> do the fuetes <laughs> in this big tutu and that's crazy so, mm. wow so was that when you stopped that's probably when I started to heal so mm. yeah I got back after I don't think maybe that was only 12 weeks the first the first time off after the big break mm. and then I came back and it broke again without wow. any pain so um and that was yeah I just remembered being you know Swan Lake step and it was just before I pushed off so obviously my ba- bones weren't very good I was not training properly um mm. I was really trying you know getting when you're at that level and someone wants you to go a little bit further they really get grooming you know every little Mm. bit about you they want to help you fix and that's when the mindset of not being good enough and then it's the controlled eating to be slimmer so you Mm. you look smaller they don't want to they want you to look childlike yeah it's not appropriate to have boobs and a bum in some of these pieces and Mm. they would tell you to lose weight off your bottom you know that's that's really difficult and I think we should all just accept as dancers we do control our eating we know it's Mm. not we don't have to but in in our mindsets back then and that's why I always try and talk about it now if you can just have find your natural metabolism honor it feel it feed yourself food Mm. whether that's good food or food with good friends it's still going to feed your Mm. soul nice and remembering that you need to find your niche in the dance market if you do have boobs and a bum and the the director doesn't want you to do less of feeds then it's not right for you yeah rather than starving yourself to get or wearing two bras or you know really trying to wear your plastics to get the fat off your bum you're right. supposed to have a bum. We all we need a bum. Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> How do we get rid of our bums without getting rid of everything else? Yeah, and the turnout thing, right? Mm. By the end of seven years at Aussie Ballet, was that part of your philosophy yet, or you were forcing it? Um, I didn't really understand turnout at all. I just wanted to dance. I would just turn and jump until I started being told to turn out more and more and more. So in Portugal, it was fine. They just loved me. I just, right. you know, you just had such a great life there and um, you'd learn the steps and you'd perform them without even thinking. And then all of a sudden when you just want to go a little bit higher, it just gets more intense and more intense. And then yeah. you start trying to be 
the person the teacher or the director wants you to be and that's yeah. when you get into trouble so mm. it, it could have worked out differently if I didn't get so obsessed with pleasing the teacher or pleasing the director or right or or pleasing myself to get further up the mm. ranks well you prove that it's not necessary to have the turnout right well I don't know see you know I prove I think it's not it's definitely not necessary I was still performing on stage principal roles with my turnout that I have yeah so now I really teach and understand turnout and understand why the heels come off the ground when you jump yeah and the ballet class you teach is so frustrating when you're coming out of that environment of forcing your turnout and suddenly having to do it and when we see you do it it makes sense because you look amazing and your legs are incredible. But then when we try and do it, it doesn't quite look the same. Yeah, I think it takes a little while to understand that the the rotation of the leg and where it is when you're in fifth position and and where you transfer your weight to get your weight between your two feet. Because if you put it back onto the back foot, your front foot's going to really look turned in and immature. So it's it's yeah. maturing the whole spiral in the leg. Yeah, right. Okay, maturity. I'm just going to jump in on that because you talk about maturity a lot and I think that would be one of the key elements of your course that I observe seeing different full-time courses is that the dancers are so mature. Yes. And over the course of a year, you give them something. It's not really something you can explain, but it's something you can see the way they perform they're really embodied and full <laughs> artist people, Thanks, you Jess. know. Yes, I get very. Um, I mean, I don't. It's funny hearing about it from someone else. I just do what I do because I think it's authentic to the way I want to coach a person mm. in all areas of life. Yeah, and your course is extremely holistic. Like the the time I had there was not dancing it was about a mental Mm. it's a crisis for a lot of people yeah because it's the first Mm. time they encountered themselves I think it's a cultural change and I think changing a culture quickly in your head so culture not just bigger culture your micro culture within yourself changing your mindset and you can meet a very mature Uh three-year-old and you can meet a very immature 40-year-old yeah so maturity is something that I like to try and define or change what it is and work out what maturity Mm. is so it's more about being authentic to the three-year-old you are or authentic to the 50 Uh year old and um helping a person find their agency their personal agency their Mm. autonomy their authentic voice or their authentic movement their authentic um behavior so it's it's coming from a deliberate choice rather than a conditioned culture or mentality and if we can just strip away some of the stuff that's not ours because it's not that Mm. um, after a a course such as the PPY you end up being the same you you end up all completely different but feeling the same Mm. yeah totally well, everyone is more themselves. More themselves. Strip, yeah, just just being, yeah. and that's maturity. That's what I've, because yeah. you're maturing into the 17, 18, 19, 20, two. It doesn't matter how old you are, the difference, there's this, I always say 17 to 24, because 
you don't want to just be with your group of people. You want to mature in a world-like experience. Maybe you could just quickly explain a little bit the structure of your course and and why well i would like to know how it all started i remember when you were in like a little not a church hall but some kind of little room with a few people yes a course that you were starting up yeah and then somehow (laughs) you made that leap Oh, you were in Sydney Dance Company as well, right? Uh, yeah, after, after yes, after the Strand Ballet, went to the Royal, back to the Royal Ballet. Oh no way! <laughs> you just wanted a bit more. Okay, this is a good story. <laughs> okay. So I left this train of ballet because in one class, the teacher at the time told me to turn out, like everyone does. But there was just mm. this one day I heard turn out and left wow. class. I think it was at the end of bar. And went straight to the director, crying. Oh. <laughs> and I resigned. Wow. I said, I want to leave. You know, I didn't resign. I said, I want to leave. I want to join a contemporary company. Yeah. Um, thinking of going back to London, I'd like to uh, audition for Rombe. I did audition for Rombe. There was no jobs, of course. Um, Christopher Bruce was really interested in me. And I was hanging out there for another six or seven weeks. He was keen for wow. me to go on tour and hang out. Mm. But... Um, my best friend, Viviana Durante, I was hanging out with. She's a principal in the Royal Ballet and said, you know, Lind, we, we need someone to go to New York with us to do Lilac Fairy Attendance. Uh-huh. And I went, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I did a class and auditioned for the Royal Ballet just to join as a senior core after being senior soloist in the Australian wow. Ballet. Just for fun, so yeah. I did. Okay. And so I didn't join did the one. contemporary Okay, and, and that was great. There for like a year or something, about a year and a half uh-huh. before I went to know wow. next, and then yeah, and in that year and a half, it was more just to be in a different environment and workshop the shit out of me. You know what? Right. Why did I leave the Australian Ballet? Uh huh. Really, was it just because someone said that at the wrong time? Yeah. Um, so that was a great experience. I loved it. I cool. Rock up not warm up, you know, just yeah. didn't do the things that I did in this Ram Ballet. Loved it. Yeah, nice. Really enjoyed cool. shopping and yeah. um, talking to people, meeting people. So mm. had a really great time and then ended up leaving this raw ballet and studying method acting. What? <laughs> what? Just for more therapy. <laughs> wow. That okay. Did, yeah. who, what are some of the characters you method acted? Uh, the, well... <laughs> The first character was, uh, I had to play an alcoholic. Oh, okay. And did you do it? Yeah, I had to go to AA meetings. and. Oh, my God. Did you do the drinking part? No, I didn't. Well, <laughs> no, I didn't get drunk, drunk. And I couldn't. I didn't want I wasn't really into. Wow. I just went, wanted to understand <laughs> alcoholism and went to a couple of very strange AA meetings in London. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And they, yeah, it was great. I loved, loved the program and the course. Cool. Basically, you had to be authentic. The warm-up every day was choosing a subject and a scenario and sitting in the corner of the room being that scenario. Wow. So if you chose to put on stage makeup, you had to think of something. Every day you'd come and do something for two hours. Oh, my God. Mm, make a cup of coffee, drink your tea for two hours. How am I picking this oh, up? wow. How am I drinking it? And the teacher would just walk around to all of the people and just stare and look at you doing whatever you decided to do for that day. Okay. And stay cool. in the moment. Mm. Did you have a favourite one? 
I know, whatever it is, to do something that predictable because you know what you've chosen to do and unconsciously, consciously, it, you'd end up everyone would be crying at some point of their <laughs> tea drinking or putting on the makeup for two long hours. Wow. <laughs> it's like a form of meditation, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Karma. Cool. Yoga. So, yeah, just did that for fun. All right. Yeah. Wow. And came back to Australia and realised I wanted to dance again. And that in that time I w- was working out my relationship to dance. Uh-huh. And then Sydney Dance Company. Yeah, I just – I realised that I missed it, but I just didn't want to want it as much as I've ever wanted dance before. So I mm. started to really s- step back, cut my hair off, didn't want to nice. wear point shoes. I remember having to do a very difficult phrase that was all on the floor and it was throwing myself around. Oh, wow. And How old were you at the job this point? I think about 26. Okay. Hmm. And was this Graham days? Yeah. Oh, I haven't had any person who's worked with Graham Murphy yet. Yeah. Anything to say about that? Oh, look, I had the best, yeah, had a great time. It was a very different time in this world, really. Yeah. So it was about 96, 95 by that point. Uh And you had, you know, in 88 and 90, it was a really big popular time for growth in in the arts and in dance and contemporary dance in Sydney. It was a really pretty groovy time. Everyone thought they were... It was very groovy. Amazing dancers in your time. Yeah, and they're all individuals. So you really needed to find your individuality to fit Mm. in. So Mm, Wow. mm, Amazing. Which is pretty strange. Yeah. (laughs) Plus coming from all the ballet dancing, they were very inclusive of my ballet quirks and I really was able to Uh workshop that out as well. Cool. From there, well, I started teaching in the year that I had off before I went to dance. And then that's when I started to go, if I'm going to teach dance, I'm better work out what this turnout thing is Mm. and why it's so important. Why do we just hear it turn out, turn out? And it's crazy making sometimes. I don't know about you, don't you think? So I did a lot of, I did a Pilates course. I've done short courses in anatomy and physiology, Uh, muscles, uh, yeah, just any, any sort of body mechanics or somatic course I would try and do it to understand whilst yeah. I was teaching and then really workshopping it with the students and um, my early stages of teaching was at the Newtown High School. Wow yeah. okay. I'm trying to work out when I taught you at Newtown. Yeah I remember just once I was in year eight I would have been 13 or something. And then my course came when I wasn't making sense to a lot of the directors and the teachers you know the directors that I was working for yeah. they would want more they I would be asking a student not to force a turnout if they've had a knee injury yeah. uh, especially after the Pilates training and then I would get resistance from the teacher or if I noticed a, a young dancer losing a lot of weight within a week I'd say there's something up um did you want to speak to that person Mm. and they would say things like no they look fine right and it disturbed me because of the the culture that I'd come from I really wanted to see a different way of teaching and training and then I just got obsessed by it I wanted more and more to understand why we have to (sighs) celebrate skinny dancers Mm. because we're all going to be if we're fit and healthy and we can dance we we will get into the comp we will we'll dance if that's what we're supposed to do we'll get into a company or we'll get Mm. we'll keep dancing and we'll work for smaller companies or the independent um scene yeah i should explain that 
the full-time course that you are the the head of training for now, you kind of created it and pitched it rather than like it wasn't a course that existed and you stepped into the role. This was a course that didn't exist at all. Sydney Dance Company was just a company and a public class school. Well, you what got was yourself in there. Yeah, I heard that Raphael has always wanted a full-time course and uh, that really excited me. Um, I was already doing my own full-time course, Evolve Dance, and we yeah. only had you know six people and we had a great time. And it was a contemporary dance course because I was really getting into contemporary dance, yeah. especially how inclusive it is with your own thoughts and emotions and your psychological development when you yeah. workshop um, an idea or a collaboration. And um, through there, I was doing my course with my students. So we'd bring in Dean Welsh and Nellie Benjamin and Natalie Aton, any of the independents out there working. Mm. I wanted to be an independent dancer yeah, when right. I grew up, didn't quite get there because uh-huh. I got too old. But um, so from that course, and when I heard Raphael was hoping to do a full-time course, I just started writing out what I was doing and why I was doing it and going, well, I can't do it on my own. It was just too hard. I didn't know how to make money from it. I was just doing it as a pilot year anyway to see where it would go and um, loved it. It was hugely successful in the growth of the individual. So Mm. I knew that. You could see that in the the six dances that I had. And so I wrote a business – I did a business course. Cool. And then just a short one with the body shop. It was for – um, wow. It was for mothers. It, uh, you had to apply yeah. for it, and I got in, and I did the business course, and they helped me write a business plan and um, wrote down my philosophy and vision. And oh. I remember taking my son to ATYP down at the wharf, and I'd nearly completed my business plan anyway. And it wasn't just for Sydney Dance Company. I really just wanted to how, if I had to tr- train pre-professional dancers, how would I do it? Why would I do it? And how can I make? Yeah. How can I? be profitable so I could pay myself those things why would I do it and how How would would I do it it are really great questions if you're going to be the head of a full-time course I I guess so yeah and then I saw Anne Dunn the executive director of Sydney Dance Company at the cafe while I was waiting for Marlon and I just went my heart started racing and I'm like why is it racing I'm just sitting here she's over there but it was because I knew I had to step up and walk over and say hey Mm. I'm Linda. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because it, sometimes you don't like that anxiety-driven feeling. Yeah. But I think without it, it wouldn't have woken me up to walk over right. there and say, hey, I'm Linda. Cool. I've got some ideas for a full-time course. I heard Raphael's interested in a full-time course. Can I meet with you soon and nice. discuss my ideas and um, apply for the job? Yeah. So Amazing. Just, wow. Yeah, a week later met and done oh. and just kept meeting each week and giving yeah. her more information and, and more ideas. And this would have been 2013? 2013. Yeah. Yeah. So then 2014 was the first year. Yeah. It's 2021 now and your course has doubled in size. There's two cohorts and now there's three directors or I don't know what you want to call They're your definitely, people. Yeah. But um, people that the head of the course... They are, yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, they've, the vision and philosophy is definitely, uh, so it, 
it was it did come from me but it definitely was the perfect fit it came from then uh, from sydney dance company as well so mm. Anne and Raphael's ideas it just seemed quite normal for it to happen yeah. and even now that you keep saying it's my course it's definitely not my course i can yeah. step away from it even now i feel and it would still be the same course yeah, as what cool. we did in 2014 and 15 yeah. it hasn't changed since then and um, so we've got Gabrielle Nenkeville and Omer Ashrahan in, you know, head of training as well. I feel we're yeah. all head of training. We collaborate, we discuss. I've got Caroline Spence, which is the um, commercial mm. officer as well. And as a team, we've got the same vision and we've got nice. the same reason why we're doing it. Cool. And, um, and what's the reason? It's personal development. Mm. and collaboration and if you develop the person and you find that com compassion and collaboration through contemporary dance because you we need it to create we can all be mindful leaders in any area of our life nice but you have to practice mindfulness every day though yeah <laughs> so you can't just give up it's this it's this that that collaboration with the person the teacher the artist the director your colleagues and yourself so you have to keep yeah. finding the collaboration and the compassion with yourself yeah that was you the do. thing I thought about the most while I was a student was that it was the people that I was encountering all the time that were giving me the most reflection on myself and mm. the mental crisis you know not the dance yeah and I think that was the bi biggest aspect of my vision and philosophy um, that Sydney Dance Company really celebrated as well was not to have a director as the teacher choreographer, you know, the main teacher choreographer. Mm. So that was at that time too when I just wanted to workshop what is pre-professional education. So you bring in the professionals. So they're all going to be different. Yeah. And even for you, you knew the ones that could assist you and help you. Mm. You, can, you saw the ones that worked you harder than this one. But you could also see the unmindful coaches or, or teachers yeah. that brought you down so you couldn't improve in your technical ability or creativity. Yeah. So you're able to then not feel mentally squashed because you go, oh, wow, that's not working for me. Thank goodness I've only yeah. got a week with that person. And then the next one yeah. comes along and you go, whoa, that's mind-blowing. That's yeah. amazing. And then the next one comes along and throughout the year when you've got 35 to 45 different people, telling yeah. them how they dance and how they you're gonna have to work out yourself it's, totally. it's not for me to tell you what you need to do yeah I should explain how like the structure of the week is in your course well every morning you've got either yoga or Linda ballet it's usually conditioning yoga pilates ballet um yeah sometimes the ballet can be in the uh, mid-morning session if yeah. someone needs to teach at nine so we do swap yeah. around so, so it's, there's two technique classes in the morning it's very foundational like the yoga is a huge part of the course, I'd say, with Jolie Brule. Yes, Jolie Yoga. Yeah, Jolie <laughs> Yoga. It's the hardest yoga you ever do. Amazing though. And then generally it'll be like a week or two weeks with one person from overseas, within Australia, the freelance scene, someone from a company. A dancer. Completely diverse. Yeah young old people. mid yeah mid-range a lot mm. of improvisation task based work yes company like preparation for what it's really going to be like 
in these rehearsal scenarios Hmm. for a graduation as well rehearsal period and then on top of that which is the most important part is that every student has a very personal relationship with you I would say unless yeah I guess maybe that's changing now because you have more people no I think it's it's about knowing that you're a coach and a coach is a coach and it is about the individual so Yes, people say it's personal and um, I even have students like you just when you said Maybe that I went personal is the wrong word. No, it, it, it feels personal, but I say it's professional. I'm paid. Yeah, it's <laughs> I'm paid to coach you, yeah, you know, in that way. And each person you have to accept that to include diversity in a group, you have to be inclusive because you can't mm. just have um, you have to know what that person, that one person is going through. And if they need to have a day off because they need to see I just have a mental health day or to understand their relationship with dance, they need to have the day off and it's supported. And they, we have um, we have a psychologist that they can work with now as well. Uh, oh, great. And um, whereas back in our time, I would, I'd give you information to go and do your own research on finding someone mm. to speak to that wasn't about dance because we're here to create the whole person who can then... Yeah. Find so a career. The mental mm. health aspect is actually a massive part of yeah, the course. It should be. I would say. Well, you just it should well, it's the same as if you if you don't have the mental health, you don't have the physical health. So if you don't mm. have the physical health, you don't have the mental health. Mm. Yeah. And um, so it goes hand in hand. And all of your course directors have done mental health well, training yeah, course. And, and you've brought that in, right? I, well, I just went looking for it. I think it was the second or third year. No, end of the second year there. And I was already speaking to, I guess I've done a lot of therapy. So I guess that's why <laughs> I was coming into helping the person find who they were. And then I just, after knowing how much help I was getting from the talk therapy or the any sort of um other modalities kinesiology i was getting it was helping someone realizing that there's there's stuff out there to help the whole person yeah speak to your gp find more information go to health food stores and so what i was looking for and i never wanted to ever diagnose because we've all got Mm. issues so i went looking for a mental health first aid course because i had to do a physical first aid course and um, there is such a thing and it just yeah. came up, Mental Health First Aid Australia. I went, cool. ah, didn't know it existed and did the course. And I wanted to just make sure I was doing and saying the right things because mm. unfortunately, and it's still there, you have a lot of young people with serious mental health yeah. issues and disorders and dysfunctions mm. and disease, And not even severe, I would also say... I didn't even know there was anything going on with me or any of my conditioning as a dancer had affected me mentally until I was in that environment and had the chance to see it and then realised that actually everyone needs that kind of help, I think. Yeah, and I don't know why. I mean, I feel we should treat our mental health just as much as our physical health all of the time it's something we should talk about every day and it's allowed to change some days I might feel mentally fitter than other days and yeah some days I might feel physically fitter yeah than other days so it's not yeah. something I think just having it in every day world totally. but it's just not spoken about if it's spoken about at school it's just with the you know health and PE class or something yeah and totally. it's away from your real life 
Yeah, but it's very, very integrated it in the life be. of the full-time course. And then I think it is for all full-time courses because you're at that point going, I'm taking my recreational studies and all my um, syllabus work yeah. into a career and I have to actually be employable and what does it take to be employable? Yeah. And that's when you realise you you need to be a nice person, you might, yeah. you might be interesting, you need to be interested in something yeah. and finding your niche is going to be mm. difficult. Well, something that I observed which I'd be curious how you feel about this now is that as a coach which I love about you you are always available to everyone every second of the day I think that's just how you are and I know that includes your family as well as everyone in the course which is now 60 people and you really as a student have the feeling that Anytime I need to, I can go up to the office, bore my eyes out and Linda will sit there and listen. But I think I've seen you at different points in your journey as the head of training that there's way too many people relying on you. And was there a point where you, well, probably in my year, was the point where you had to change something about that yeah I think if you well we all need to feed ourselves first and that's what I wasn't doing back then in 2015 but um also so in 2015 I got diagnosed with breast cancer and I went on treatment and you know came about it in a better way and was grateful for the opportunity to learn and grow and I, I think it was a very um, positive uh, experience so that's probably one big podcast in itself yeah totally (laughs) um and with that cancer diagnosis it was chronic stress so even though you recognized it in me back then that I was always available it was a big wake-up call to get back and do the things that I wanted to do for myself and Mm. I was still doing them then but I think it was a combination of a lot of stress and reasoning and didn't stop I kept going from um different dance ideas to the other and creating this and trying to find support for the greater community and reason why I was wanting to give to people is because I wanted to give to myself so I do think that diagnosis was inevitable it was going to happen and it happened at the right time Mm. with your group well it happened with my year (laughs) and yeah maybe we can talk about it a tiny bit yeah so it was somewhere in the middle of the year right yeah and I had a knowing I, you know, when you just have a knowing to go, okay, I'm ready to deal with something. I better go to the doctors. I never go to the doctors. Right. And um, yeah, I guess I, I got through that first year with PPY and it was successful and everything was going great in our second year and didn't feel I was too stressed at work, but it was the next piece of growth and it was a fast growth that I probably needed to do to be sustainable for what I was wanting to do with the course and what I mm. wanted to do with my life and my family. Yeah. And um, so with the decision I took uh, to do chemotherapy first before any lumpectomy, that in itself was uh, some, a reasoning that I wanted to understand why I mm. had cancer. What was this learning lesson? And, um, yeah, it was just an incredible experience because I just had to – find my intuition to make choices every little step of the way even that first choice to do chemo before 
lumpectomy. Because did you want to do that? I feel like you yeah. did. In the end, yeah. I guess you don't know what you don't know when you get a diagnosis and it feels like it's very rushed in the time that you're diagnosed to the time to make a decision would mm. be four or five days. It's ridiculous. Yeah, right. When I probably had this cancer for three years. Right. So I'm like, whoa, hang on a sec. Let me think about this. And um, Yeah, how did you take it? I remember us being told and you being like smiling like this and everyone else was just crying. Yeah. I don't remember not seeing you really either. No, you I, were there every day and yeah, looking radiant and healthy all I the time. I was much health, healthier because I knew exactly what I had to change. I had to really start meditating. I had to do all of the things I, was, I knew I was supposed to do. So right. I had all the information in, in me. It wow. was just that I probably wasn't doing it all. And, and what um, were those things? Well, I think the, when I got the phone call from the doctor, I just started away affirmations. So straight away as was, I'm grateful for this opportunity to learn and grow. I think I said mm. that consistently for two weeks. And <laughs> yeah, I feel mm. like I've heard you say that a lot. And just that grasping the opportunity, mm. taking that opportunity, whether it's good or bad, I think it's just as hard to grow from a good opportunity. I see right. quite a few people yeah. failing from a good opportunity. Get it? Oh, I can totally relate and to that. And that's, you know, good opportunity that I've judged as a good opportunity turns into a bad opportunity. You're still going to learn and grow from it anyway, so it doesn't yeah. really matter. So grasp any opportunity and learn and grow from it. And it's um, epiphanies happen all the time. And you, you just, it's like bubbles are bursting daily uh -huh. with understanding life. Yeah. So the practical elements of your healing, like what did you do? Um, I went through chemotherapy. You know, I used to think I'd never have chemotherapy. I'd rather yeah. die. Uh-huh. <laughs> and this uh, was for breast cancer, right? Yes. So it was yeah. the type of breast cancer that they wanted me to have chemotherapy. Um, so I chose to do that first because I just didn't want to get rid of it. I wanted to know it for some reason. Uh -huh. And why did you really not want to do chemo? To oh, before that because I you know I I like being healthy and you know just eating good food and thinking good thoughts and meditating and yeah. having that amount of chemicals in there you know there's so many other ways to heal than chemicals mm. but I couldn't trust my belief in not doing right chemo I yeah. had to just go with it until I decided that it wasn't right, right. um I felt that was an easier thing to do than have the operation first. Then I went on the path with an integrative oncologist and understanding diet and nutrition, understanding how stress creates um, your metabolism to, to mm. not function properly. So your nervous yeah. system affects your metabolism, which uh, mm. affects your nutritional intake. Yeah. So even if you are, which I was eating healthily, I was too stressed to even absorb and the immune system was down. So yeah. I didn't, I didn't know you could measure the immune system, but when you're in chemotherapy, they have to measure it. Wow. And yes, I started very low in my immune system because if your immune system's too down while oh, you have man. chemo, they have to stop your chemotherapy. God, well, how do you even start your immune system if you're starting well, chemo at the same time? I know my immune system went up during chemo. Wow. Because I was doing all of the other natural therapies as well. What were those? High-dose vitamin C. So that was intravenous high-dose vitamin C, uh -huh. vitamin D, a lot of herbal medicine, turmeric. I, so many, <laughs> yeah. you know, 40 different yeah. micro and macro 
vitamins oils daily. Oils and herbs. Oils, herbs. And then there was kinesiology I was doing through that yeah. as well. And then the diet, what do you cut out? Well, I actually went um, on a clinical ketogenic diet. Yeah. So I had to do it for 55 days and it was phenomenal for what yeah. I needed it for. So that cool. was with my integrative oncologist. Yeah. And now you don't do that. Or kind no, of. No, kind of do it. But, you know, if I want to feel good about myself and, you know, I should be doing it a little bit now. It's been COVID right. and I'm sort of yeah. cold. and Yeah. But if you can do a ketogenic diet ever so often, it's basically three meat and three veg. Yeah. It's the good fats. It's a good food. So it's not mm. the bad ketogenic diet. It's a good, healthy yeah. salmon, salmon oil. No grains. No grains, no low no carbs. Corn, wheat, soy, dairy. Uh, actually, dairy's fine. Da- oh, that's right. Mm. Yeah. Do you eat dairy? Yeah, now, now I do. Wow. <laughs> okay. Because it's. And do you yeah. eat rice now? Yeah. So I'm not ketogenic now. Yeah. yeah. Bread? Bread. Yeah, I can eat it. Cool. Basically, eat wine. What- yeah. <laughs> Where's the wine? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then realizing afterwards that it's the belief in what you're eating too that counts. Yeah. If you believe it's feeding you on some level. Yeah. Rather than not feeding you. And this is, it sounds woo-woo, but there's a whole science behind this in your nervous system, right? Healing Mm. you. You know, I never talk about it because I don't really care to. You know, when you Mm. don't, I don't need to debate it. I don't need to incorporate it in any of my coaching that I do or, but the understanding is that your belief creating your reality and the reality then doesn't matter so even yeah. if even if your reality is causing death say with cancer yeah. maybe death is okay right so it it there's no right or wrong to huh. any of us <laughs> and that's why you're not afraid of dying now yeah mm. were you afraid of dying when you I first think definitely was afraid of dying i've had a lot of death in tragic death in in my history my uh, family mm-hmm. my family wasn't good at grieving uh, mm. understanding more my dad's mother died when he was nine my mum's father mm. died when she was seven my wow. sister died when she was 16 wow uh, aunties and uncles who have passed away with parkinson's or cancer so a lot of young yeah. people in in my family history mm. are dying and it wasn't that i was i was very fearful but i didn't really mm. tell myself i was fearful of it until yeah. I realized that was my time to work out if I wanted to die or not. Right. <laughs> no, it's wow. Okay. Death is a miracle. Is it? Yeah, birth is a miracle. So yeah. death is a miracle too. I mean, wow. bloody hell. How do we get there? How do we get to the other side? Yeah. When do we die? I mean, imagine mm. being a a baby inside a tummy with Don't you feel like you l- can imagine it? <laughs> I sometimes think mm. I can still feel it yeah. if I think about it. But imagine what you were thinking in there to go, what the bloody hell? You think I'm going to the next yeah. life? No way. I'm staying here. I don't want to go. So how long did you treat your cancer and then you were just, yeah. was it a very clean story like that? Yeah, it was pretty clean. Um, by my last chemo, that was after graduation and I had, did my last one the next day after graduation. Wow. And I was really sick after that and... And I was supposed to do another one and I just didn't talk to anyone. And um, I, I just wanted to work out if I still had cancer, if I needed to do the last chemo. 
and uh-huh. could I do the last? Because I felt was the last chemo going to kill me or not doing the last really chemo. it made you that sick yeah i don't know i just intuitively felt um wow yeah depleted mm. what kind of sickness what does your body feel like during that that's what i'm mm. curious about. uh because i was fit and healthy and i was doing mm. yoga and i was my immune system was up it was more the burning i had you know burns on my arms and my feet and um the weight loss there is a lot there's weight Mm. loss and that's why they don't you know absolutely don't encourage people to diet when they're Mm. going through chemo yes i did but i'm not saying it's the right thing i'm just saying that's intuitively what i did i wouldn't tell people to do what i did Mm. because it's very it's tricky it's whatever your belief is and it's whatever you think you need to be doing well and it's the, almost like you were healing something uh, outside of the cancer yeah while having this cancer it, situation. i don't know what it is you don't know it's just what i did and i was very mm. happy i did it and my biggest healing was a moment that i realized about not pleasing so i had to it was life or death situation in my head this decision and i knew I'd be damned if I do and I'd be damned if I don't without a clear vision. So I was waiting for a clear vision and it happened on the day of my last chemo and I rang up and said I wouldn't do it. I didn't tell my family. Wow. Because I didn't want the guilt of going, uh, yeah, I might die. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not doing the last chemo. <laughs> and um, yeah, I got in trouble by the medical people. That was quite interesting. Wow. The way they treat you with a nice pretty scarf. Oh, wow, you look beautiful. How are you? And then you turn up when you haven't. Because I, I, wa- I still wanted to do the other medication that was going to go on a little longer. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I had to go and I had an appointment with a doctor, to another doctor to say, I've said no to chemo. How do I tell my oncologist? Mm. And that doctor said, yes, well, that's going to be very difficult. They will make you try and do it. They'll say that you have to do it um, for legal reasons. Mm. So you can't just not do what they tell you to do. But so you managed it. I managed to do somewhere. it, so I went there and listened. So it was turned up to my oncologist. Even the front desk person was just not nice to me. Yeah. <laughs> which usually they're overly nice, which I hated too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you look lovely. That's a nice scarf. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so that, and then the oncologist came out and didn't look at me and I came in and sat there and listened to the rant I was quiet I waited for three seconds after they she'd stopped talking (laughs) so that was about 10 minutes (laughs) and I said um I understand that you have to say all that and I know why of course you know I absolutely wouldn't want to sue you for anything anything (laughs) so but I do know I can say no and I said no wow Um, and that was the hardest because when you've got a doctor in a coat yeah looking like god yeah to someone that's going to die you know yeah and you're saying no thanks you have to be prepared to die yeah that wow that's a okay i'm saying this because i want to understand if i can say no and trust my no wow 
And then you trusted your no? I trusted my no. And so I didn't talk to my family about it. I mean, they were just freaked out. Yeah. Wow. That was a big thing. They probably still don't know. So hopefully they won't watch this. (laughs) And then then I had the operation and they were very annoyed. (laughs) Yeah. So what they do is they put a little clip in the um, tumour so that if it moves around, they'll still be able to find it, especially if the chemotherapy shrinks the tumour. And there was no tumour left and there was a very small and they couldn't find it. And I just by that stage, I don't know, going into the hospital, poor Kip was, my husband was so sad that day. I don't know why. He was a nightmare. It's like, it's not about you, it's about me. Let's calm down. And I was just happy. I was literally bouncing skipping down the hallway. I was feeling so good because I didn't do my last chemo. And they couldn't find the clip even, you know, so everything was shrunk and I just, yeah, so basically no cancer was found, no cancer cells and um, on the report it said spontaneous remission. Wow. So I was pretty excited. Wow. But I take it seriously because it doesn't mean anything. So if I do get Mm. cancer again, it's not that I've failed. You know, I think it's really important to know. And during that time, I had other friends with cancer who did pass away. And yeah, that's quite confronting. But even during that, I would talk to them on the phone or or people will get, go, oh, my friend's got cancer. Speak to her. She's doing all this amazing stuff. And I'd get on the phone with them and say, death is healing as well. So don't think death is a failure. So yes, if you do die, it's going to be amazing. And yeah. then, and then after I'd say that, we'd end up talking about the rest of the family, and I'd be saying, yes, well, it's not just your disease; it's the whole family mm. are needing to cope with it. Or this this woman who did pass away had a 19 year old son, and you know, it's it can be emotionally sad, but this is it was her journey, and um, she passed with a stroke before she had to suffer the illness. Well, she was ill for a while, but uh, when I heard that she'd passed, I went, oh, great, that was quick. She really, that was a really swift way to decide to pass. It's kind of... It gets me thinking about that phrase everyone says that you're fighting cancer and you hate that can you right? You weren't fighting it. Won the battle. (laughs) It's like there's no... Yeah, I just think you... There's no battle, there's no fight. It, you need to go the journey and take the opportunity to learn and grow from it and, and mm. understand it. It's it's as common as sleeping and eating and yeah. waking and falling asleep and cancer cells yeah. grow, cancer cells die. Having to think about why it happens, absolutely, for sure. I don't um, negate all the money that we put into cancer research. That's all fine, but, um, yeah, celebrating life and death as well you know death Mm. as well as life can be special Mm. yeah so it's really interesting so since then any funeral that we have i really i really love it (laughs) no it was really we have such a i just had to you know it's very sad when someone dies my stepmom just died and and i didn't know what happened but i started being the production manager for her funeral and it was so lovely and you just can make so people feel easy to go yes we can be like when we get together to celebrate this life this is our opportunity to celebrate Mm. we can go home and cry but um it is a really fun time funerals we just had kip's dad pass away and it was so much fun and 
the decisions that we made to celebrate his life with were yeah. beautiful and yes cool. plenty of tears but to celebrate yeah. a life is a really special thing to do and I know prior to my um, cancer I didn't celebrate Mm. at funerals or I was fearful to go or uh, if mm. I didn't quite know them I'd think that I needed to be respectful and not go or you know my my sister's funeral was not it was just all so wrong and no one wanted it and it was yeah. too sudden so we we couldn't enjoy wow. the life and celebrate it so and you know then I hearing stories of my my dad's mother, when she passed, the children were allowed to go to her funeral. You wow. know, just so you, yeah. you're just looking at maybe your history of death and mm. funerals, and then you can change your future of death and funerals as well. Yeah, wow. Mm. It's a bit too serious here. Cool. <laughs> nah, I love that. No one's really talked about funerals on dance. Oh, it's, so well, it's life, it's you cool. know. Yeah. Celebration, really. And I mm. guess as performers, we we love celebrating, don't we? Yeah. Do you have any little favorite treatments and favorite foods and medicines that you take or you would encourage other people to um, take? Look, I don't encourage other people to take because I mm. really believe as a first aider, so mental health first aider or a first aider, you're there to tell them there's other information out there and find what's right for you because um, especially if it's any natural herbs or therapy you've got, you don't have that, you don't have the controlled scientific evidence. You know, that's why pharmaceuticals are so great and they give you an 85% chance of survival yeah. because they've done, they've spent millions and millions of dollars on testing mm. that drug or that therapy or that yeah. you know electrodes or that operation it's hard to recommend um herbal or natural therapies and so i i don't so you don't no. okay wow i'll say go and find out your information trust your intuition right this people pleasing thing was oh, a big yes. <laughs> peak of the story but you haven't talked about that yet i would say in my observation since i was around you a lot in the year you had cancer I feel like I can see how you changed mm. since then. Yeah. And that your personality is a lot more easy and relaxed. Well, it's funny. You can please people. Um, and we, as performers, we do, as people we do, as women we do, because we're in that motherly nurturing mode. So we, we it might be a consequence that we please people, but it's understanding, feed myself first mentally, physically, spiritually. So if you're pleasing people when you aren't pleasing yourself then your anxiety you just get a little bit confused and that's probably my heightened state of knowing you don't want it to be your your way of life and it's not that you're doing it purposefully you're just realizing that um subconsciously you can please and you want to please without pleasing yourself mm -hmm. i know that's very confusing <laughs> a little bit like um Codependency. You might be codependent yeah. on money or job or career or pleasing the teacher. So if the teacher wants you to get your leg high, you'll just get your leg high. You don't care what the rest of your body looks like mm. or you don't care that it's hurting or forcing your turnout. You know, mm. if you want to just please a teacher. So it starts at that, that level and then it goes to, I'm really good at pleasing. Yeah. And then you want to please because that makes you feel good. It's a bit of a drug in the end. Uh-huh. Best to just acknowledge it and, and realize 
if you're being authentic to yourself, pleasing yourself first. Mm. So, yeah, I think, I think we're all living in a society we're always wanting to please. Oh, there's one other thing. You said you wanted to talk about the show will go on, not ah. the show must go on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I often say that. I've said it for a long time and then COVID hit and I'm like, see? (laughs) (laughs) The show must go on mentality is not just in dance. It's in marketing, it's in lawyers, it's in uh, construction. And through contemporary dance and understanding about collaboration and compassion, I feel the show goes on more naturally if you allow the show to go on rather than trying to make it go on. Uh-huh. And then we do realise that the show will go on or not with or without you. Yeah. So if we can get that into our heads that, yes, the show will go on, maybe it's six months late because of COVID, or it'll go on without you because you're injured or you're sick, yeah. or you've um, got a tummy bug so, bug, so the rest of the company got the tummy bug, so the whole show has to be cancelled. I mean, these things... It might go on, it might not go on, but if, with that mentality of the show must go on, that's going to yeah. cause a lot of stress and probably deplete the creativity. Wow, I like that a lot. Mm. Mm. Okay, well, I have nothing else to say about that. You said it all. Um, I guess that's a lot. I know. That's a lot. Is there anything you feel like we haven't discussed that you (laughs) want to say oh look no just you know I love dance as a way to to understand my life and my universe and I guess um, movement is all around us and any dancers out there you know keep dancing and keep understanding why you dance and get Mm. everyone else to dance because it's so much fun whether it's in the kitchen or in the park or Mm. any sort of dancing why do you dance I just think it's joyous and healing. Mm. Yeah, and I love understanding we're living in this body and we don't have a really strong image of it, do we? You know, yeah. an arabesque, sometimes we think we're, we're just like a cardboard and we just want to bend this bit and that bit just doesn't bend. So you're having to actually visualise these positions or groove or feeling to what you think it might look like and then um, that's kind of really crazy. Yeah, that's cool. Wow, we didn't really talk about this much, this organic movement approach because mm. I had never thought about dance this way and I talk about it all the time when I teach now is that we're thinking about energy, not form. Yep. And your classes, you're always talking about authenticity and being natural and real yeah and i know that word authenticity some people go you've said it too much back yeah but i mean it does lose its meaning it does so really it's about standing there on your own two feet and feeling where your energy is where where's your weight why is your weight so just keep on asking how is my leg coming i'm having epiphanies all the time about dance movement and i'm still Mm. having them i had one this morning about the opening of the front of the ankle, you know, this part of the ankle, not just just in fourth position. It's like, yeah, my, my foot mm. moves, you know, in fifth. Anyway, that's another story. But, yeah, this internal locus of control, I call it. Mm. So it's a, a psychological term about how you view your life. And if you have an external locus of control all of the time, you're going to be quite angry at the world. Yeah, that's like <laughs> the reactionary. Yeah, the world's 
yeah, you're going to be a victim. You're going to say it's the world's fault. It's the this fault. So if you start to have an internal locus of control, you feel like you control the type of day that you're going to have. And that's especially in a dance studio. And it started when I was at in full-time training, when I need, was told to lose weight off my bottom to make my turnout look better. I just went crazy. I went, yeah, sure, I can just eat this, this and this in a day. And I did it. <laughs> there, I lost weight. Did it make my turnout look better? I don't know. And I just didn't want that feeling anymore. I wanted to know, well, well, how does my turnout feel? How does my body feel? So I'd close my eyes in a ballet class and um, really try and ask myself, who am I? How am I feeling? And not look in the mirror. Because I used to look in the mirror and always, especially after being told you needed to lose weight, you would just see problems. Yeah, so I think it's really important to, especially in dance, to have an internal position of understanding and control. Yeah, no mirrors in your class too. That's I way. really like no mirrors. Yes, we they pull them back and sometimes they think they need it and I've, I'm... I give up arguing. <laughs> yeah. I like the argument when, um, or they'll say, oh, but there's too many people in the class. It's much better if you have the mirrors open. You can see someone at the front teaching the choreography. Uh-huh. And then I'll say, well, then there's twice as many people in the class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so can't we still close? And then there's only, <laughs> but um, I don't know. We'll have to do some studies on <laughs> whether yeah. we need a mirror or not. But there's a lot of choreographers. I'm really excited when I hear people like Ohad Narin and William yeah. Forsyth say that they don't have mirrors yeah wow Forsyth not using mirrors is pretty amazing yeah I like I like her hearing that I'm like see 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 they're doing the same as me cool (laughs) because really oh look if you want to get your leg behind you you have to just have the equal and opposite force on the underneath leg in front of you Mm -hmm. and visualize that leg going to Devon even though it's onto the floor and your leg's just going to be behind you yeah you can't just say move your leg behind you as a teacher or a coach because that will just make you twist to get the leg behind you. Mm. So it's having that leg behind me. Ah, oh, I'll have to just yeah. change my energy and my leg will be behind me. And if it's I'm not, so I'm good. sure that hopefully the teacher will tell me again. But but having that decision to do not just what the teacher says, to just find it yeah. and be happy with what you find. Yeah. And then get the next instruction. I love it. I love it. I'd love to get all three of you sometimes yeah. talk about the course that would be cool absolutely because um gabrielle nankerville's amazing yeah. Astrihan. yeah he's amazing he's really mm. into that improvisation yeah we could do the whole course a uh, whole section on improvisation what is improvisation yeah it's crazy i i mean i've been looking into improvisation before the course and that's what transformed me and as much as i wanted improvisation in the course and i've put it in there I'm not putting it in there. People are just doing it now. It's, yeah. it's even back in 2014 when it wasn't around much in Australia. The yeah. people who are, I was attracted to bringing into the course mm. were improvisation artists, and um, yeah. the practice is very uh, mindful and conscious and yeah. deliberate. And technique just streams ahead. I think when totally you, doesn't it? You just know yeah, where you so are. It's so hard to explain that to young like ballet school dancers yeah. to tell them that we'll still see your technique through yes. your freestyle. Well, you're, f- you're seeing it through their deliberate action. And if they can have deliberate action in improvisation, they'll have delib- deliberate action in a materie, in a yeah. double and a ronde. Mm. Mm. 
Okay. All right. Thanks, Thanks Linda. Jess.